This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. And here's a resurrection account from Mark 16, 1-8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And now let's hear the resurrection account from Luke 24, 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. And now the gospel resurrection account from John 20, 1-9. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter 
and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you raised up four witnesses to the resurrection experience. Lord, thank you for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and their unique accounts from their unique angles that help us to get a full picture of what happened on this day when Jesus rose from the dead. We have learned so much just listening to your word. Speak to us as to the significance of the resurrection of Christ for our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How Jesus' resurrection has changed us. We're looking really at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but I'm going to touch on Ephesians uh, chapter 2 in a moment. First of all, the gospel is worth believing. Just in case you were wondering, is Christianity true? Here we have it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Notice all the words that talk about faith in the good news. Gospel means good news of forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ. And so they receive that message of good news. They have taken their stand on that good news. They hold firmly to the word of that good news. And they're not believing in vain. So Paul is writing to reassure them the gospel, that is the good news of forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ, is worth believing. The gospel really is summarized by this truth, Christ's death and resurrection. So Paul spells this out in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, uh, Cephas and then to the twelve. So here's the important part. The gospel has two very important parts, the crucifixion and the resurrection. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. In other words, paid in full. He paid for your sins and mine in full on the cross by giving his innocent, sinless life in place for our guilty, sinful lives. He paid for our sins in full. And then to show that that uh, sacrifice was good, he rose from the dead. So you might say that the cross is the payment and the resurrection is the receipt. So we have to have both, the crucifixion and the resurrection. Had he only died for our sins, but not risen from the dead, then he would not be able to give us eternal life. 
But because he died for our sins, our sins could be forgiven. Because he rose from the dead, we can have eternal life through faith in him. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. And the gospel is validated by proof. And the proof is that he showed himself to Cephas. Cephas is the name for Peter. At one point, he shows up to Peter and he restores Peter. Remember that Peter denied the Lord three times. And three times, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Matching each of the denials with an opportunity for Peter to say and reaffirm, you know, Lord, as human as I am, I love you the best I can. And Jesus said, feed my sheep, tend to my lambs. So Jesus restored Peter. He saw his failure, but his failure was not final because the Lord forgave him. The Lord restored him. Perhaps you feel you've done something wrong, something that has let the Lord down. The Lord loves you, and he goes out of his way to come to you to assure you, I have forgiven you, I have restored you. And because of that, we love him all the more. Those who are forgiven much, love much. And the way to show our love is to to tend to his sheep, is to care for his family to serve one another in love in the power of the Spirit. So the proof of Jesus' death and resurrection is that he appeared to Cephas, and then he appeared to the twelve. He appeared to only eleven on Easter or Resurrection Sunday because we read that Thomas was not there. Thomas was the one who said afterwards, you saw the Lord? He's alive? No way. I would never believe that unless I could stick my finger into his wounds. And a week later, Jesus comes into the upper room where the 12 are, and he says, Thomas, go ahead. Stick your finger into the wound of my wrist where I was nailed to the cross, into my feet, into my side where the spear went into. Thomas didn't have to do that. (laughs) He fell to his knees and said, My Lord! And my God, right there, he believed. And Jesus said, blessed are you because you believe, but blessed are those who don't see, but they believe. And we are of that generation that we have not seen the physical proof of the holes in Jesus' wrists or feet or side, yet we believe. And we believe with exceeding joy because we know and love the Lord He's in our lives, and what a difference he's made in our lives. So he appeared to Cephas, the twelve, and now watch this in verse 6. It says, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, meaning that they've died. So Paul is writing unequivocally, unabashedly saying, go to some of these who were numbered among the 500 who saw Jesus and verify for yourself that they in fact saw the living Christ, the resurrected Lord. Praise God that Paul did not pull back 
in saying this is historic fact and there's proof in the pudding. There's witnesses, not one, not two, not 12, but over 500 still alive so you can look them up and you can ask them for yourself. And they'll tell you, yes, I saw Jesus. Yes, I heard Jesus. He's risen from the dead. We have a gospel that is 100% true. It's completely trustworthy. It's historically verified. And we are thankful that our faith is not in vain. And it goes on to say in verse 7, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also. This is Paul, the apostle Paul writing, and this is to attest to the fact that the gospel changes lives. Who was Paul? Well, you know and I know if you have a Bible history that Paul was once called Saul, and he was a zealous Jewish leader, one who studied under Gamaliel in in the University of Damascus, which was one of the greatest mentors of all time in the Jewish faith, one who was born of the tribe of Benjamin, one who had zeal and was serving on the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling 70 of the nation of Israel, Saul had impeccable credentials as being the number one Jew, the most Jewish Jew that you could possibly know. And he had such zeal for Judaism, he wanted to persecute these followers of the way. Many of them were Jewish, and he felt they were denying the faith. So he would hunt them down and throw them in jail. He was there when uh, Stephen was martyred. Stephen gave an incredible speech summarizing the entire Bible message of how God had worked with his people and revealed himself to his people, and yet how his people constantly rebelled against him and rejected him. And when the people heard this, they stoned him because he gave a witness to Jesus as being alive. And as they threw rocks at him, It was Saul who held their cloaks. And Saul was the one who gave a thumbs down, meaning go ahead and stone him. But something happened while they were stoning Stephen. It says that his face glowed like that of an angel. And it says that he looked up and he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then he died. Now that's got to do something to Saul. It's got to convict him. What's going on here? How can he have the face of an angel look so innocent when we're killing him for blasphemy? How could he see in heaven and see Jesus, the one we think is is a fraud? He sees him up there at the right hand of of God the Father. How could this be? Did this slow Saul down from persecuting people? No. He persecuted them even more zealously. And on the road to Damascus to persecute some followers of the way, lo and behold, he is blinded by a sight. Who is it? It's Jesus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
You see, to persecute the body of Christ is to persecute Jesus himself. Saul, why do you keep kicking against the goads? What are goads? Goads are long sticks that uh, cattle people would use to prod the cattle to go where they wanted to go. And when the cattle feels the sharp stick in his side, he turns away from that because he doesn't want to keep on getting stuck by the stick. Saul had the goads, these sharp sticks of conviction, pricking his conscience when he saw Stephen being stoned and he saw his face like an angel. He saw, heard him say, I see Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Something was poking him, but he was kicking it away. He didn't want to listen to, could Jesus really be God? Could Jesus really be resurrected from the dead? Could Jesus really be Lord? But when he was blinded by Jesus, when he was questioned by Jesus, finally he fell to the ground and he said, I will follow you. He committed his life to the Lord. And the Lord said, I'm going to send you as an apostle to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, that they may come to Christ. So what a powerful change occurred to Saul, and he took his Roman name, since he was going to reach Gentiles, he took his Hebrew name, Saul, and changed it to his Roman name, Paul, which means small. He became humble, humble little Paul. But you know what Paul did? Paul championed this thing called the gospel. And he wrote Galatians, and then he wrote a longer form of Galatians called the book of Romans, all about the gospel. And Romans 1.16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, that is, to the Gentile. So that's the power of the gospel. It can change a life. It can change a person from a murderer to a missionary. Praise God for the transformation in Paul's life. But you know what? He didn't feel worthy to be saved. He didn't feel worthy to be called an apostle, a sent one of God. He said in verse 9, uh, verse 8, it's like one who was abnormally born. Like, I don't know how I got into being an apostle. I don't even know how I got into being a Christian. But all I can say is, I didn't deserve it. For I am the least of the apostles, and I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He remembered in vivid color giving the thumbs down so that they stoned Stephen. He remembered in vivid color hunting down followers of the way and having them thrown into jail. He persecuted the church of God. He was attacking Jesus himself, and he didn't feel worthy. In one point in the scriptures, he calls himself the chief of sinners. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. Christ came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the chief. In other words, if he can save me, then he can save anybody. And what a testimony of Paul. And he goes on in his testimony to say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Boy, we could just rest in that thing. By the grace of God, I'm not what I was. I'm not what I'm going to be yet. 
but I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, because I've been saved, even though I didn't deserve to be saved, I am thankful, I am um, in the Lord's service, and I'm working harder than all the other apostles, and yet not me, but the grace of God that's in me and with me is working through me, propelling me, compelling me to share the gospel with as many Gentiles as possible around the world, the Roman Empire. So whether then it is I or they or this, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. So the gospel moves us to serve Christ. Because you have been saved by grace, don't you want to tell others? You see, there's a lot of people out there who are trying to earn their salvation. They're trying to atone for their own sins. Now, they do it by becoming workaholics or substance abuse practices or um, all sorts of things that are punishing and self-destructive and the devil's having a heyday blinding them. You cannot pull yourself up by your bootstraps to heaven. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. We're saved by faith through grace, or grace through faith, lest any man should boast. We don't deserve to be saved, but God showed his love to us in that Christ became an atonement for our sins. And by believing in Jesus, your heart is melted when you think of how your sins have been forgiven, you want to serve. You want to tell others this good news of forgiveness of sin through faith in Jesus Christ. So the gospel makes an eternal difference. And the question here is, if Christ had not been raised, if there was no resurrection of the dead, where would we be today? And it says here in verse 14, if Christ had not been raised, our preaching would be useless and our faith would be useless. If Christ had not been raised, then we'd be false witnesses about God. If Christ had not been raised, then the dead in Christ are not going to be raised. If Christ had not been raised, then our faith is futile and we're still in our sins. We're not forgiven if Christ had not been raised. And then those who have fallen asleep are lost. And we, of all people, are to be pitied. All these things are at stake if Christ had not been raised. The resurrection of Christ is the cornerstone of our faith. And there have been great minds, attorneys and philosophers and doctors and uh, Others who have tried to set out to disprove the resurrection. And the more study they did, the more research they did, they ended up becoming believers in Jesus Christ. There's evidence that demands a verdict. Either Jesus is a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. Because the claims he made are not claims that you can make unless they're true. You'd be a liar if you made these claims. You'd be crazy, a lunatic if you made these claims. But if they're really true, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father yet through him, and he proves it by rising from the dead, then he is Lord. 
He is Lord, and what an eternal difference that makes. The gospel changes our eternal destiny because Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, we live in an agricultural area. When I moved from the Chicago area to Chico, I realized that the spelling of these two cities is different by only two letters. Chicago has A-G in there, but Chico doesn't, because we have the ag right here. So you don't have to explain agriculture to Chico, but the concept of first fruits is that when the harvest is starting, there's the, the crop, the first crop, that shows that the future crop is coming. Jesus is the first fruits of what's to come. He's the first to rise from the dead, never to die again. He's the first to rise from the dead with a glorified body so that all of us will receive a glorified body. He's the first fruits of the harvest to come. Praise God for what Jesus has done because all that is true of him will be true of us who trust in him and believe in him and have had our sins forgiven and received eternal life through faith in him. Verse 21 goes on to say, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Let's make this really simple. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're part of the Adam's family. Adam was the first human being. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they were not supposed to eat of, and sin entered into the world. And so everyone since Adam and Eve are born in sin and practice sin and persist in sin, and we are going to experience the wrath of sin, which is eternal death, eternal separation from God. So if you have never trusted in Christ, you're part of the Adams family. But if you have trusted in Christ, you are part of the second Adam, you, Jesus. So where Adam failed by disobeying, Jesus, the second Adam, the second human being who was made in perfection, did not fail. He went to the cross, gave his innocent life, shed his blood so our sins could be forgiven, and he rose from the dead so that we could have eternal life through faith in him. So this morning, we've got two groups of people here. Those who are still in the Adams family and those who have trusted in Christ and will have resurrected bodies. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. So Jesus is just the beginning of a crop of people who belong to God. So finally, the gospel is the victory of Christ for God. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So this is a very important point that you probably don't hear a lot about, but it's important to preach. It's this. Jesus 
not only saves our soul, but he's going to resurrect our body. He's going to give us a glorified body. But he doesn't just save our soul and glorify our body. He's going to renew the entire earth. The entire earth will one day be completely made new, like the Garden of Eden, only with the city of Jerusalem as the capital. And who's going to sit on the throne? Jesus. Amen. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.